Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be It Works, How and Why Studying Commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, It Works, How and Why. Alright folks, this is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there are going to be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide commentary of the text toward reaching those seeking a resource like this. We know if one person benefits from our efforts, we collectively believe, even including us, then our participation was well worth the effort. We're going to start off with our introduction, and then we're going to jump into the text. Get a pen, a highlighter, and get ready to go. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is episode nine. It works how I study for the anonymous podcast. We're going to begin on page 32, all the way at the bottom. With relinquishing control is not easy. But first, I'm going to give her introductions. Lisa, what's happening? Hello, everyone. I'm Lisa H. I'm an addict. My clean date is February 25th, 2012. My home group is Monday Night Miracles in Meadville, and I attend meetings in the Central Western PA area. All right. Thanks, Lisa. What's up, Lee? Hey, Douglas. Lee P. Attic, very grateful. Um, sorry, I'm losing my voice. Clean date, August 27, 1987. Uh, Open Mind is my home group. It's hybrid. Come see us on Monday nights. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. What's up, Eva? Hi, everybody. Eva P. here. Um, my home group is the Do It Hard meeting in Salem, Oregon, and my clean date is June 10, 2000. Thanks, Eva. What's up, Eric? Hey, I'm an addict. My name's Eric. Uh, my clean date is September 16th, 2019, and my home group is Friday Night Clean in Bradenton, Florida. That's the Sun Coast. Thanks, Eric. What's up, Christine? Hey, everybody. I'm an addict, Christine O. From um, I attend meetings in the Tidewater and Virginia Beach area, and my clean date is March 31st, 1994. Thanks, Christine. What's up, Donna? Hey everybody, this is Donna P out here in Eugene, Oregon. Sorry about that delay. My clean date is 11-22-85. I celebrate on Thanksgiving Day. My clean date is, or my uh, home group is Solutions for Living here in Eugene, Oregon. Come see us sometime. Thanks, Donna. Hey, Paul. Hi, Doug. Uh, my name's Paul M. I'm an addict. Uh, my clean date is January 6, 1995, and I attend meetings in New Orleans, and my home group is also Open Mind. Thanks, Paul. What's up, Jennifer? Technical difficulties, my apologies. My name is Jennifer. I am an addict. We are a wild bunch tonight, apparently. Uh, uh, my clean date is November 27th, 1992. Uh, I live in Sacramento, California, and my home group is The Journey Within. Thanks, Jennifer. What's up, Andrew? Hi, uh, Andrew G. I'm an addict. My clean date is May 16th, 2008. My home group is No Matter What in North Atlanta. Thanks, bro. What's up, Barb? Hey Douglas, my name is Barbar. I stay in the Panhandle of Florida. My clean date is ten four ninety five, and my home group is open mind. Thanks, Barbara. What's happening, Jane? Hey, Jane A. here, and I'm an addict, and I'm clean date is twelve twenty two seventy nine. My home group is the Noon 
Tuesday, Thursday book study in Salem, Oregon. Thanks, Jane. I'm Attic. Name's Douglas. I got clean March 12, 2000 in Southwestern PA. I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, here we go, folks. Episode nine, it works how wise study for the anonymous podcast, page 32, all the way at the bottom, relinquishing control is not easy. Paul, would you be willing to start us off, read the first two? Absolutely. All right. Relinquishing control is not easy, but we can do it with help. With guidance from our sponsor and daily practice, we are sure to find ourselves find ourselves learning how to get our egos out of the way so our higher power can work in our lives. Each time we are fearful over a situation, we can turn to the step and find the means to walk through our fear without resorting to our old ways. Recovery doesn't exempt us from having to live through painful situations. At some point in our lives, at some point in our lives, we may have to mourn the death of a loved one or deal with the end of a relationship. When such things happen to us, we hurt, and no amount of spiritual awareness will take away our pain, take our pain away. We do find, however, that the caring presence of a loving power greater than ourselves will help us get through our pain clean. We may find that we are able to feel our higher power's presence in the group, in our friends, or in talking to our sponsor. By tapping into that power, we begin to trust and rely on it. We can cease questioning why painful things happen and trust that walking through the difficult times in our lives can strengthen our recovery. We can grow in spite of our pain or perhaps in response to it. I, I like how it started about relinquishing control and then goes into this other thing. I, for me, the, the third step is not a, a, a theological exercise. It is a exercise in me having a place to put the stuff that is beyond my control, which, uh, uh, spoiler alert, is everything that happens. Um, but it gives me a, a place to put that. And I know, listen, I was using uh, in 91, I'd relapsed and my grandmother passed away and um, I was not present. And I know how, how I feel about that situation compared to my mother dying in 2010 when I was clean and uh, my dad dying in 2010 when I was clean and my mother dying in 2015 when I was clean. I, the sadness they talk about is present, but the regret is zero. The, the oh, I wish I would have done it that way is not, is not present for those two deaths. It is clearly present for my grandmothers and through step work and the eighth and ninth step, I have addressed it, but I know the difference here on how I deal with things with a third step and being cared for and a place to put things that are beyond my control. And for me, that's the, that's the release. When I go, when I let go and, and let something else, you, my sponsor, this this podcast, our fellowship, my home group, my higher power, care for me. Oh. It's better. Doesn't make it less sad, but it's better. And I'm better. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Paul. What you got, Lee? Yeah, I'm just going to kind of piggyback on what Paul was saying. Um, it says relinquishing control is not easy, 
it was in fact impossible in the beginning. Um, but by following guidance from my sponsor and, and predecessors and this other part about daily practice, because at first I, I didn't have anything else to do but practice. And so it, that, part, that part came easy. Um, and I have that whole paragraph, the whole top part of that paragraph that Paul read where it starts with recovery doesn't exempt us from having to live through painful situations with the arrow and an asterisk on it, um, like mourning the death of a loved one or dealing with the end of a relationship. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, I got the suggestion, stay out of relationships for the first year or two. And of course I didn't listen. And right after that one was over, I took a quick break and then I got into another one. So that was somewhere between three and four. And, and I remember that relationship had me in a fetal position, literally on the floor. And my sponsees would come over and say, oh, you got to eat food. And I would like take a bite out of a sandwich because I'd never felt, I guess, emotional pain like that ever because of the drugs. The drugs buffered that, uh, that, that feeling. Um, and and I, I think last week or the week before I was talking about how my sponsor pointed out to me that I had a string connected to my, my third step and I would always pull my will and my life back with that string. But it says we do find, however, that the caring presence of a loving power and I have plus others greater than ourselves will help us get through our pain clean. And, and like Paul, I took care of, I came home to take care of my mom. We have that in common. And when she passed, I don't remember, you know, I remember sadness. I remember feeling sad that she, I feel like an asshole sometimes when I say this because my mom lived to be a hundred. So there was a part of me that was, was happy for her, like she she wasn't uh, demented or or Alzheimer's anymore. I don't even know if, I, if that's a word. And a hundred's a long time. I mean, that's a long life. So there was a part of me that felt happy for her. the The absence of her is what is what hurt. But the connection to others who were there, Paul and Carload of guys. They were just there. They didn't say, oh, it's going to be all right. And they didn't pat me or, or nothing. They were just present for me. And, and, and if I would have needed anything, I'm sure I could have said, hey, I, I need X, Y, and Z. Um, and so but when it talks about tapping into a power, I don't think it's just talking about uh, your God or your deity or whatever it is, your higher power, what you believe. So I, I just wanted to throw those comments in. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Lee. What's up, Andrew? What's up, y'all? Um, yeah, I uh, I really like these two paragraphs, and uh, at, you know, unfortunately, they're they're very timely. Like um, we lost uh, my mother-in-law on a Friday, um, and so at like four four days ago. Um, and so it's raw, you know, um, and we had been battling, she had been battling with, uh, with Alzheimer's early onset dementia for the last, 
you know, three or four years um, and it went quickly, but like, you know, this is, this is very much where I'm at today. You know, I'm very much like living in this of like, you know, I have this pain that comes on out of nowhere and I don't always know, like, I don't know what to do with that. Like when I just start weeping midday on Saturday, I'm like, well, how do I treat this? You know, I mean, that, that still is like a little bit of my instinct of like, I'm really sad. How do I treat this? Um, you know, but the, the great thing about this is like, you know, and, and I love what Lisa said that, it, that it's this daily practice, right. That like by doing these things over and over and over that you guys suggest to me, I find the means to walk through my fear without resorting to my old ways, you know? Um, and so like, I can cry and I can just be like, I'm right where I'm supposed to be, you know? Um, and I was talking with my sponsor about it and, uh, you know, he was like, don't, don't try to shortchange your pain, you know? Um, like just, just exist in this and know that like, I'm right where I'm supposed to be that like, if somebody that I love dies, then I'm supposed to be sad, you know, and I don't need to try to, sometimes I try to NA away my feelings, <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, if, if I can just pick up the phone enough, I won't feel pain. Or if I can just like, if I I'll write this shit out, you know, um, and like, it is okay for me to be sad today, because like, I have this trust in this faith, right? Like, um, that HP shows up and that like, man, I consistently put myself in places where um, my higher power works through other people. And I hear the message that I'm supposed to hear. And I get the love that I'm supposed to receive and know that I am cared for. Um, and know that like, my pain is justified, like my pain is mine. And like, it's going to be okay, because I know that like, I'm not going to put dope on top of it, you know, no matter what. And like, that's, that's, fucking awesome today like that's a miracle for this addict you know um yeah so that's all i got thanks let me share thanks for his comments andrew what's up eva hey everybody so um i have some experience around death and uh loved ones and when early in recovery i lost my mom and um so you know for me um the way that i mourned my mother and uh, learned how to do that so early in recovery um, was a little different than the way, for example, that I learned to mourn, say, my auntie, who was my favorite auntie, who passed away just a couple of years ago, um, because recovery, you know, because the amount of recovery uh, and steps that I've done um, has taught me that each time that I go through that, I can turn to this step and walk through it a little differently. And um, not that I did it wrong the first time with my mom, but it was just a little bit different. It was a little bit harder. And, um, you know, at two years clean, um, I hadn't had the experience, strength and hope that I had, and I didn't have the people around me that I have today, but, um, or I had a couple, couple of years ago, but what I know is, is that um, even early in recovery, um, turning to this step is what saved my, saved my life in this, you know what I mean? And, um, and I didn't think that was the one thing I didn't think I'd ever make it through was the, the, the death of my mother so early on. And um, she was, she was the reason I told myself I got clean. 
Like I'm going to get clean because I know my mom's dying and I'm not going to feel guilty when she dies because, you know, I hear everybody say like you're going to feel guilty if, you know, your mom dies and you're loaded. And so I was going to get clean and she was dying pretty rapidly. And um, so I wasn't going to feel guilty. And the day that she died, I was going to go ahead and get loaded. And I was going to be justified in that. And um, by the, you know, by having worked even just a, not even a full set of steps at two years clean, uh, having worked this step, I was able to do what it says in this paragraph, you know, and uh, in that time of fear, walk through it and be restored without being without restoring myself to the, my old ways, which was, you know, getting loaded. And um, I don't know that I'm making any sense. I have a really bad toothache, but I just, I just can resonate and relate to this so much because I've had like my best friend died 10 years after my mom did of the same disease that my mom died from. And, um, and I remember walking through that death a lot different than walking through my mom's death. And it was exactly the same process. Uh, she died of the same cancer. And um, being able to uh, help other people walk through it that are in recovery because she was in recovery and teach them how to do it uh, a different way too. And, um, and just remind people that they're not alone and um, that there's a caring presence, a loving power that they can turn to um, that's greater than themselves to help them stay clean, you know, and, and whatever that is, um, you know, sometimes it is just the program. Sometimes it is just each other. And um, by tapping into that power, you know, you do begin to trust and rely on it that, that people don't go away, you know, um, because in my life, people did, they just went away. And, um, and for the first time in my life in Narcotics Anonymous, people didn't go away when people died. They didn't go away and get loaded because that's what happened, you know, in my life when people got, when people celebrated or people mourned, people went away, they went to the bar. So, um, for the first time in my life, they didn't do that. So, um, and I got to return that later in my life in recovery for other people. So, um. Yeah, it's a pass it along kind of thing in my life. And, the, and it says it right here in these paragraphs for me. That's all I got. Thanks for those comments, Eva. Christine, could you read the next two, please? Sure. Recovery is a process of discovery. We learn about ourselves and we learn how to cope with the world around us. When we are sincere in our desire to allow our higher power to care for us, we begin to gain a sense of serenity. We notice a gradual change in our thinking. Our attitudes and ideas become more positive. Our world is no longer a distorted, as distorted by self-pity, denial, and resentment. We are beginning to replace those old attitudes with honesty, faith, and responsibility. As a result, we begin to see our world in a better light. Our lives are guided by our emerging integrity. Even though we make mistakes, we become more willing to take responsibility for our actions. We learn that we don't have to be perfect to live a spiritual life. 
when we work step three with an open mind and heart, we find the results are far beyond our expectations. As we experience this new way of life, we begin to realize that recovery is a priceless gift. We learn to trust as we do. We open the doors to intimacy and develop new relationships. Where once we focused only on not using, we can now appreciate the many things that make our lives so valuable. We savor the laughter and the joy we hear expressed so abundantly in our meetings. As recovery becomes more central in our lives and we internalize the principles embodied in the steps, our view of the world changes profoundly. As our awareness grows, so does our appreciation and faith in our higher power. Wow. Can you guys, is there background noise? <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, yeah, I have a lot on this. I have a lot on this one. Um, when we are sincere in our desire to allow our higher power to care for us, we begin to gain a sense of serenity. We notice a gradual change in our thinking. Um, walking through the fear for me, you know, I've said it before, we just got to do shit scared sometimes um, because I didn't know how to walk through fear. I just um, either avoided it or act like it wasn't there or became totally paralyzed and couldn't function through it. So, um, and my sponsor taught me how to walk through and walk with that fear. I would start because I have like severe anxiety as well. So part of that gradual process for me was uh, asking myself a series of questions like, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being death, what is my fear level? What is my anxiety level? Um, I would ask myself, have I been here before? Have I felt that, have I been here emotionally before? Have I felt this pain? Did I die? Um, and, uh, you know, and then I would just have to keep it moving. You know, those things would kind of calm the inner fear a little bit to know that I can make it through this clean. I have experienced this before and um, it, it just would kind of bring me down a notch. That we don't have to be perfect to live a spiritual life. So huge because I did totally think like I had to do it all perfect and I was crazy. Well, we all are, but I was like, so struggling with perfectionism and hypervigilant and desperation when I first got clean that I did everything, everything that was told to do. No makeup, no form-fitted clothes, no sex, no relationship, meetings every day, sponsors, service position, H&I into the women's prison. Man, I was the addict of addicts. And um, no matter even doing all of that, it did not exempt me from the pain of life. And that was hard to realize because like Andrew was saying earlier, I wanted to recover my way out of any type of life feelings that weren't positive. I don't know where in my head, like I feel like addicts are programmed somewhere. We're born with this innate sense that we're supposed to feel good all the time. And if we don't feel good all the time, then something is dramatically wrong and we must fix it. 
Um, <laughs> so that part of not having to be perfect to live a spiritual life was a relief to me. Like, okay, I am, I am kind of doing this right. And in the next paragraph, I know I'm probably going to go over my time, but intimacy, that is the word. Number one, recovery is a priceless gift. There's no way I could ever put a price on what I've gained from being in recovery or the quality of my life or any of that. But that word intimacy and developing new relationships um, coming from the trust that I started to gain when working the third step. Um, you know, I'm from the, the Webster dictionary days where if there was a word, I always thought I knew the definition but I really what I thought I knew was not what it really was so I had you know I would go and look it up and intimacy was was one of those words and I looked it up actually again today um because to me intimate intimacy it automatically was physical it was sexual that was my definition of it and the thought it was not even anywhere in my narrative to be emotionally intimate with anyone um, or to feel comfortable in the fact that I could be who I was and you guys would still love me. I didn't have to be who I thought I needed to be for you for me to fit. Um, so I totally had the chameleon syndrome um, and learning to be to allow myself to be who I was. I mean, I still remember the exact moment when I made the decision on a date with the man who is now my husband that I was going to be exactly who I was. I made a conscious choice in that moment to, you're either going to like me for this or you're not going to accept this. I had this whole conversation in my head. And, um, you know, we've been together now. 27 years and I still remember like it was yesterday that conscious choice one choice in one moment can change the course of our lives forever and um and I'm really grateful for that so intimacy is possible um it's still a work in progress to be connected and authentic um with those who are close to me but um you know my greatest coping skill is inappropriate humor at the wrong time like I'm that girl that tells the joke at the funeral like too soon um so I love Narcotics Anonymous because my people are here and y'all don't tell me I'm going to hell for that you laugh and high five and hell yeah that's our girl so it's those moments that allow me to continue to practice intimacy and build relationships with you because I can be who I authentically am. So thanks for letting me ramble. I'll pass. All right. Thanks, Christine, for those comments. And folks, if we if we did record the 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 get together before the study, you would see exactly what Christine's talking about because we get on there and chop it up like that. Uh pretty good. Eric, what's happening? Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Christine. I, uh, I, and a lot of the same things stuck out to me. I'm grateful, man. Like, I don't think I'm going to hell, man. I've been through hell, you know. And um, 
what stuck out to me the most probably was as we experience this new way of life, we begin to realize that recovery is a priceless gift. So you're talking about looking up in intimacy. So I looked up the definition of priceless and it just says uh, something that's so precious that its value cannot be determined. You know, like, dude, on a daily basis, I don't always think about that. What a gift it is to be in recovery, man, free of active addiction, you know. Um, I mean, like, I just take it for granted today. You know, I mean, this thing that I could not attain, you know, today is just a, a part of my life, man. Um, a lot of this stuff stuck out to me, actually. And all these paragraphs have been good. Uh, when we're sincere in our desire to allow our higher power to care for us, we begin to gain a sense of serenity. We notice a gradual change in our thinking. Um, you know, where I had a hard time, what, and also that other sentence about we don't have to be perfect to live a spiritual life. Like, that was the biggest illusion that kept me from taking any steps, you know, and I would pick apart people that seemed like, you know, and I would say like, well, if they're not perfect, they can't be spiritual. You know what I mean? I really believed that for a time and it kept me from even trying, uh, you know, and somebody said in the meeting, like, all we ask is that you try, you know, and like that was a light bulb moment for me. And all we ask is that you try. And um, I also had a hard time in understanding what this step says uh, turn our, one of our lives over to the care of and I didn't know what that meant what does my higher power caring for me mean and then I just had to like, like humanize it you know and like what does that look for like like when Lee was talking about his sponsors coming by and feeding them bits of sandwiches and stuff man like I'm allowing somebody to care for me or something to care for me and um, you know that's like when I'm not well enough to take care of myself and make my own decisions on things man like I need to be cared for and so it became a lot easier for me to uh, to understand man and also earlier where I was talking about we might feel a higher power presence in a group and our friends are talking to our sponsor, man. Like I uh, often feel that presence, man, in the in the good times and the bad, you know, and I don't know about being able to NA away my pain. You know, I've tried and the, nothing has been quite 100 percent effective at that. You know, what I mean, the best that you can do is soften the blow for a little while. And I'm going to avail myself of that at every opportunity, you know, um, but there's always comes a time where it's just me and God, man. Always comes a time where it's just me and God, and I've got to. Uh, I got a choice, man. I got a choice to either continue to try to escape or surrender, you know. And that, uh, in those painful moments, man, that surrender can be real sweet, you know. And uh, for whatever reason, I still think it's a skill that I'm not, have not honed, you know. It's not definitely not the first area I go. I usually do a little bit of struggling before I give up. But man, when I do, man, it's like that is more. It's almost more potent than a drug. You know what I mean? Like it almost. You know, it just becomes accepted. And in that moment, it like softens up so much that I, I feel okay. Um, so I'm just so grateful to uh, to be clean today, you know, to be in recovery and to uh, to look at this and be able to know that like I am practicing this stuff, man. You know, I, uh, I don't have a lot of resistance. Uh, you know, a lot of things have happened in the last few years. Like, for example, I've probably talked about this before, you know, my sponsor got up. Um, tongue cancer my dad had lung cancer my mom got leukemia you know i mean this all happened in like the same time frame you know and uh there was nothing that i could do but accept you know what i mean obviously it was out of my control um, and i was scared about the pain i was scared about what that was going to look like to go through and uh you know luckily my both my parents are still okay but my sponsor did die man he told me before he died too he said this is going to be hard for you eric this is going to be tough you know and it, matter of fact you know but like there was uh, hope in that that it's you know what else, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to fucking use it over it, make everything worse? It seems what a crazy way to think, you know, and, and that's the beauty of my thinking being changed. 
You know, like I don't see that as like an, ex an excuse to escape anymore. Like, oh, it's all fucked anyway. I might as well not even try. No, I'm like, I'm going to try until I can't try anymore. You know, that's the gift of this sort of program. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Eric. Sublisa. Hey, Eric, I love what you just shared, um, you know, because as you were sharing it, I was thinking about, you know, some of the stuff that everybody shared about our first couple paragraphs and getting through like grief and loss um, clean. And I was just kind of reflecting back to like, I was fortunate enough growing up to have all of my great grandparents and for every single one of their funerals, I was loaded. Um, and I, I think I shared with you guys not too long ago that like when my great grandmother was in hospice dying of breast cancer, I stole her medication and I went to her funeral high on her own meds. And, um, you know, like I was taught in the area where I got clean, um, you know, somebody I was kind of like sharing this with somebody cause I was feeling very sorry for myself, you know, like poor me, I did these terrible things. No one's ever going to love me. And somebody looked at me and said, the getting, getting loaded to cope with someone else's death is the most selfish thing you can do in recovery because it's like saying, poor me, you're dead. And that shit like pissed me off in the beginning, right? Like, because I was throwing my little temper tantrum and I was getting called out for being selfish. Um, but there's a lot of truth there. And um, I think you also were the one last week who shouted out um, Adam T's lead where he says like, you know, they say that God doesn't give us more than we can handle. And if that were the case, then we wouldn't need God's help. And I think that's very true. Um, you know, when we talk about like, we don't have to live like perfect lives to be spiritual. Um, because I think like, if I'm perfect, my understanding of my higher power is that higher power is pretty close. And if I am higher power, what do I need it for? Right. I don't need you guys. If I'm perfect, I don't need spiritual principles if I'm perfect. And clearly I am not God and I am not perfect. So, um, you know, I still need you guys all the time. Um, I had to laugh too, when we shared the very first sentence of our reading tonight, relinquishing control is not easy, but we can do it with help. My whole body went, oh, no, because my brand of control is I don't need help, right? I don't trust you to help me because the people who I trusted to help me have abandoned me and have hurt me and have betrayed me and have lied to me, right? So like, if like, there's so much irony in that for me, like that in order to win, I have to surrender, right? And like, we talked about like, surrender is not giving up, it's giving over and it's joining the winning side. And we notice a gradual change in our thinking. I think back to like the place in our literature where it talks about like, we didn't become addicted in one day. So remember easy does it, you know, I didn't get here to narcotics anonymous in one night. So what makes me think that those spiritual changes are going to happen immediately for me, this is a decision that I have to continually make over time. And I love that it says our world is no longer as distorted by self-pity, denial, and resentment. It doesn't say our world's not distorted at all anymore. It says it's not as distorted. Um, and that's true. That's real talk for me because like, I can still get stuck in that, you know, when I'm feeling some kind of way, or I didn't get my way, like somebody mentioned, like, we think we should always be comfortable. And when we're not, there's something drastically wrong. I still go to that place. And I still need this process of like making that decision. But this paragraph about like, experiencing a new way of life and recovery becoming like more central 
Um, and that priceless gift thing. And thank you to whoever defined that. Um, because for me, I feel like it's more than, it's more than a priceless gift. Like I'm in debt. I went very deeply in debt to afford this gift. Right. And like, I think it's Lee who says all the time, like I owe, I owe a debt to NA. Um, and there's really like, I don't know that I'll ever fully feel like I can pay back what Narcotics Anonymous has given me. Um, and I think what this is really saying to me is like the more, the more I decide to turn my will in my life over to the program, over to higher power too, like the better I know myself. And when my view of self changes and my view of higher power changes, my view of you changes and the world becomes easier to an easier place to live in. Cause I'm not being such an asshole. Right. Um, I don't think that everybody else is out to be an asshole. I don't think that the world is out to get me or that the world is inherently um, a painful place anymore. Um, so I guess it just makes me a lot more aware of just all of the really great things, you know, like the, the promise of our message is freedom. And, and that's what I found in step three. Thanks for those comments, Lisa. Hey, Jane, could you finish this out? There's, um, there's two small paragraphs and one regular one. So we're, well, maybe there's, yeah, yeah, there's three. Could you, could you finish this up on, on step three? Thanks. Sure, Douglas. If we pause to reflect on our lives at this stage of our recovery, we will see that we have experienced dramatic personal growth. The relief we experience as a result of working the first three steps is only a glimpse of the growth we can experience through working the 12 steps. The role of the third step expands in our lives as we continue working the other steps. Step 11 asks us to pray for the knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry it out. Step three begins this process. It is here that we start to seek God's will for us, moving from a self-seeking life to a life based on spiritual principles requires us to change profoundly. With the help of a loving God, we are ready to move forward on our journey. This is a 12-step program, not a three-step program. The decision we've made in the third step is perhaps the most momentous decision we'll ever make in our lives but we need to work the rest of the steps for it to remain meaningful. There is more work to do. We have found that the spiritual path set forth in the 12 steps is the only way to recovery in Narcotics Anonymous. Putting our recovery commitment into action, we work step four. I've really enjoyed the podcast and listening to people talk about um, not only their gratitude for the priceless gift we've been given, but um, their awareness. Uh, as I know for me, the awareness that my thinking is changing, that as I, I love that part where it talks about internalizing the principles embodied in the steps, and when it stops being a project on the wall that we complete to get our little brownie button uh, for the NA way, we uh, start internalizing and using it as tools in our life uh, instead of the other things. And uh, I was an expert at the blame game. I love the blame game. And I always had a little toolbox of extra blame. You know, if the uh, current ones weren't working, then I'd pull up the childhood ones, you know. So it was always somebody else's fault. Uh, not responsible for any of my behavior. It was always somebody else's fault, even if it was 40 years ago. Yeah. So the first few times that I noticed the change in taking on the responsibility for my choices and my decisions instead of immediately pointing my finger 
uh, and blaming outward. Uh, just that's the view of the world changes profoundly. Absolutely. And that, uh, and the practicing of the steps so that I'm um, pausing. And I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. One of the greatest gifts in this fellowship and in this program is the gift of pause. Pause just for that second. So they don't have to point the fingers out or I can say, God, God, or I can go in the bathroom and shut the door <laughs> before my mouth runs off. Those pauses have um, meant uh, the world to me is being able to just pause for a minute and make it a, a God conversation. And, uh, and one of the first things I teach uh, people when we're, uh, I'm working with them because I believe when I'm working the steps with other people, I'm sure learning a lot about me too, but uh, is we invite God in before we start with the hope that some of my ego can leave out. And just in case you're wondering, no, it doesn't matter how long I practice this. My first thought is still blaming. That's my first thought. But because of the gift of the fellowship and internalizing the spiritual principles, I get that pause. I get that choice of not blaming, but taking responsibility, or at least looking on my side of the street. Um, sometimes I don't look as hard as other times for my side of the street, but that doesn't mean I don't pause and think about it from time to time. So, and I love this. This is a 12-step program, not a three-step program. Not a one, two, three, not a one, two, three. And they say that that first three steps is more of an observation and uh, um, uh, an awareness and then you start into the action steps and the rest of the steps are the action steps. But I got to tell you, I did a lot of praying and talking uh, and writing to um, establish some kind of higher power that in above the group level uh, to try to define you know, a higher power in some way. I was one of those that was wounded. Uh, I told myself I was atheist, but the fact is I spent a lot of time talking about something that supposedly didn't exist. So maybe maybe I was just more wounded about the about the whole thing. So thank you guys for letting me participate. Thanks for his comments, Jane. So Jennifer. Thanks, Douglas. Um, man, this sentence really hit me. You're moving from a self-seeking life to a life based on spiritual principles requires us to change profoundly. Um, and, and, and what I have internalized since I've been listening tonight and reading this is, is that, you know, all of those things, the, the, the bad things that they talked about, life happens, shit happens, people die, we break up, right? All of that stuff, you know, um, I've had the ability and I've been afforded the opportunity and recovery because I've done some work that when those things have happened to me in recovery and, and I did not do them perfectly, but I got to live a life based on spiritual principles because I had had a profound change in who I was as a person. And it doesn't mean I'm not an addict and it doesn't mean I'm not self-centered. It just means I have the ability today I have the ability doesn't mean I always do it but I have the ability today to trust in a higher power that I'm in the care of and all of those things that we talked about death you know divorce you know um you know friendships dissolving losing a job like whatever right all of those 
things have also changed me profoundly in recovery because I've, a lot of those have happened. All of those have happened to me that I just said, you know, and, um, and, and the gift of moving from a self-seeking life to a life based on spiritual principles is, is today I can share that thing with the other people that are going through it after me. Right. And I've had some really cool recent experiences where some of the, the hardest things I've gone through, you know, my divorce, I've had somebody reach out to me recently and say, I heard that you walked through this and I would like you to share my experience. Now, it's not like I walk around going like I'm divorced and I want to tell everybody about it. And it was, you know, this horrible thing. But what it's afforded me is the ability to be empathetic and to share and to not live in this self-centered place of, and, and Jane was just talking about it, blaming, right? Like I'm not blaming anybody. It's just the situation that happened in my life that I'm better for today for it. Obviously, you know, I mean, apparently, cause I feel better today than I did, you know, two years ago, you know, when I asked my husband for a divorce, ex-husband and, and when my dad died 12 years ago, I didn't have any regret, you know, and Paul talked about that. And, and I've been able to share that over and over again with people who have lost parents in recovery and what that looks like. And it didn't, you know, I, my pain never got, taken away after my dad died, but I had the ability, Narcotics Anonymous, my higher power gave me the ability to ease some of that pain so that it wasn't so stifling that I couldn't manage it, right? And so when they talk about at the end of this paragraph, there's more work to do. And we found a spiritual path set forth in the 12 steps is the only way to recover in Narcotics Anonymous, only way, right? And I believe that I practice it. it, it it's it's not something that I walk around saying, well, I've worked the 12 steps, so I'm done. I don't have to do that anymore. Um, I wish it was that simple and easy, you know, um, but in recovery, I've had new problems, you know, new issues I've had to deal with, new, you know, situations. And so the, the, the continuing to put the action in um, and, and wanting today to live a life based on spiritual principles is nothing that I thought that I came here for. I, I came here to get clean long enough to turn 18 years old so I could go out and fuck around and do what I wanted to do and not have to worry about an adult telling me. And what I got 30 years later was a life beyond my wildest dreams. And one where Paul talks about a lot to experience joy and wonder, you know, and awe more regularly and all of this bad stuff that, you know, this stuff talks about. And, um, and, and, as all, and if I stay in that place and that gratitude, man, um, you know, I think I'm having a pretty good day. So I'm going to pass with that. Thanks. Thanks for those comments, Jennifer. What's up, Barb? Hey, Douglas. Um, this has been an interesting podcast. I've been sitting here listening a lot. And, and what I'm feeling right now is sad, you know, and I guess I, I, that, you know, that's okay. And I think because we're talking about death, we're talking about a lot of painful things. And, I'm, and I've been um, thinking of my journey throughout recovery. I've dealt with a lot of death, you know, and um, it's been it's been hard starting with my um, first son that died in 79 to um, my mom that died in 2019. And um, I was thinking of what Jim was saying, too, about I, I got that highlighted. We found that the spiritual path set forth in the 12 steps is the only way to recovery in Narcotics Anonymous. I, I, the steps are all about finding a higher power. And I was thinking about my journey. I just did 11 step in um, 
and uh, um, back to basics and I'm getting ready to do it in Al-Anon and, and how spiritual I get when I do that step, when I do a three or 11, I feel it so much, you know, and, and then when I do a four, how I'm so humbled and you know, how the steps turn me inside out and take me on this one, you know, on this journey, you know, and, and, um, and how I'm abhorred and I feel joy and just all the feelings like I felt tonight really on this podcast. And, um, you know, I just, I was, I, I said, I was doing the coin master, the game. I deleted that off all my <laughs> heart, all my, you know, my phone, my iPad, I deleted that and I put down the nuts, you know, and all I know is that to do that, it's, it's been a lot of prayer, you know, because it's just like the dope. When I use this other stuff, it's, it's just like the dope, um, you know, there's triggers. Like when I go by a store, when I go to Walmart, it's like, okay, HP, help me not get nuts. You know, and that might sound ridiculous, but I'm telling you, that's, you know, the, the way I use this. And there was this comedian, Jim Gaffigan, and he talked about, um, he's pretty hefty. And he, he was talking about some experience. And, and then he said, um, and he was talking about his feelings. And he, then he said, and then I went and, and ate my feelings, you know, and I do shit like that. You know, I do shit with my feelings. I play coin master. I eat. I get too busy to feel. I do shit. You know, God don't give you morning handle because guess what? We're addicts. We check out. I know how to check out stone cold clean. You know, I have ways that I can check out. And I did it with my mom because, you know, I'm still so fragile sometimes. I'm so tough street bar, but then I'm so emotionally fragile sometimes. It's like, it's like, bitch, you know, man up. What's wrong with you? You know? But that's who I am, you know, that's what I like too about myself, you know, and I have these ways to check out and that's okay, as long as I check back in, you know, plug into HP and, and keep on trudging the road, you know, that's what I got to do, you know, and, and um, you know, today I have an unshakable faith, that's what the steps and the third step gave me and I can't even tell you what it is in, and I don't know that it cares for me but it assists me on this when I put down the nuts and plug in and say, help me, it helps me. It ain't going to just take the nuts away, you know? So it, you know, God can move mountains, but you better bring a shovel. I got to do the footwork, you know? And I, I got to, and sometimes people have to tell me, you know, bluntly, you know, if you want to get fat doing this shit and die from that, go ahead, you know? And it's like, well, that's kind of, that's kind of rude, but it's the truth. That's the shit that gets through to my head, you know? It's like, knock it off, Barb. <laughs> Act like a woman in recovery. Put the shit down. Plug into HP. Because, you know, I'm lazy. I don't want to do the work, you know. I, 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 I want to avoid stuff. But I know that um, today I have an unshakable faith. When, I, when my mom, it was horrendous, the pain. My mom died in a horrible, horrible accident. I had post-traumatic stress. I, this tape would play over and over of, that, of the accident. And my mom under that truck and stuff. And, um, you know, my sponsor would tell me, play the tape through. I couldn't play it through, you know, but I would play it a little more each time, you know, and then I would plug into HP. And I knew because of this program and my unshakable faith to put one foot in front of the, the other and it was going to be OK. You know, it was going to be OK. Time takes time. You know, I know that. And I didn't want to accept any of that when I came in. But today I'm willing to, you know, first time that lady told me time takes time. I wanted to throat punch her, you know. Today, I know that. And, and it's like, time takes time, Barb. You'll get through this. Just keep going. You know, I'm going to talk about praying. 
spiritual. You know, I, when I had breast cancer in 2012, I prayed to have dignity, strength, and courage. Well, who is that? You know, I was, I'm self-centered, you know, egotistical. Still, I can be. You know, but you guys have taught me things like that, you know, to have courage and to have strength and to, um, that there is something. I don't, I don't have to define it. I don't have to know. You know, I just know that there's something when I plug in that I get peace and I get strength and I get courage and I get all those spiritual principles, you know. So I'll keep, um, I'll keep praying. You know, what did they say? Came to scoff and remain to pray, you know. And um, that's, that's been true for me today. So I'm so grateful to have this way to live and that I can keep waking up to the stuff of my disease. And guess what? I'm never going to get there. There's always going to be something. You know how much shit I put down on recovery? And I have no doubt that there's going to be a bunch more that I'm going to switch, you know, to um, obsession and compulsion. I'm obsessed. I find shit to match it, you know, and that will never change. But you know what? It reminds me that I'm an addict and I better stay here and I better keep doing the steps and I better keep treating this and waking up to the stuff of my disease. And what I get is joy. You know, when I walk through this, I'll get, I'll get a little bit of pain putting down these nuts and stuff. I'll see what, why I'm medicating them feelings, what's under it. And then I'll get freedom and then I'll get joy. And then, you know, so I'm grateful to be here and I'm grateful to be clean. Thanks. All right. Thanks for sharing that, Barb. And, and it's always touching to, you know, to, to be able to share deep stuff and then like laugh and then, you know, get, get some other deep stuff and laugh too, man. Like, I, I think it's a beautiful thing. And I, I just want the folks to know listening, like our chat, you know, our chat fires off with, with our favorite Barbisms and stuff. And, and it's always nice, man, when street Barb, you know, is discussed. Like that's one of <laughs> that's one of my favorite podcast characters, I think. And uh, well, folks, I'll make a couple comments, and then Don, I'll kick it to you to jump into to step four, the first two. But um, a couple one-liners that I have here, we can grow in spite of our pain, or per, or perhaps in response to it, our attitudes and ideas become more positive. And then the last one, our lives are guided by our emergent integrity. It's almost like, you know, if I if I look at my life before step work and before getting clean, you know, for sure, it's like before March 12th, 2000, and after March 12th, 2000, like our calendar system, you know, it's like before and after, and that's really how it is, man, and and I see that over and over again. I have similar experiences to that. My grandfather died, like, you know, the family business there was Percocet and food stamps. We were all, we were all high on his Percocet while watching him die, looking at each other, knowing the first one that can get to his room gets, gets what's left. You fast forward that though, man, about seven or eight years ago, my sister was 29 when addiction absolutely murdered her. I was clean as could be. The family relied on me to coordinate everything. I spoke at her funeral and I did all that fucking night or day, man, before getting clean, how can I consume after getting clean? It's like, Hey, what can I, how can I show up and how can I, how can I give, you know? And, and man, and another thing is like on my 12th birthday, my old man gave me an adult magazine. That's what he did on my 12th fucking birthday, man. My son, my my youngest son, he's 13 and he's a sweet boy. He's he's coming into like my older son who who's almost 16. He's fucking wide open. It was easy to have the sex. Time. I had to Google like, well, what's a sneaky link and shit like that when talking to him, you know, but now my younger one, he's asking me all this shit, you know, and and uh, and he's so fucking he's just a sweet boy. And uh, um Dude, not once, man, does it cross my mind to give a fucker a, 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 an adult magazine or nothing like this, man. I'm I'm literally talking and pouring into him, value yourself, make smart decisions, you know, this and these things that 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 it's just Narcotics Anonymous, man. You people, it was like it was before 
and after. I mean, integrity grows, man. You know, really great. If I was thinking about those things, you know, where you guys were were kicking it. Donna, would you be willing? Can we're we're in a transition into to to step four? Can you read the first two paragraphs and share? I will, Douglas. Thank you. Step four: <clears throat> We made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves by working the first three steps. We have formed a solid foundation for our recovery. Our active addiction cannot remain arrested, however, unless we build upon this foundation. As we work the third step, many of us were puzzled. How can we make sure we are really turning our will and lives over to the care of God? The answer is simple. We work the remainder of the steps, starting with step four. Why work step the fourth step? After all, we've been able to stay clean so far. Some of us are still haunted by a driving obsession to use drugs. Others find that the feelings of discomfort are more subtle, a nagging feeling that something isn't right, a sense of impending doom, or feelings of fear and anger that have no apparent reason. Still, others may think we're doing just fine without a fourth step. However, our experience as a fellowship has shown that sooner or later, members who don't work this crucial step relapse. I think um, for me, the first time I worked the third step, it wasn't this profound spiritual experience. It wasn't a profound experience with the God of my understanding. It was a surrender. It was uh, um, coming to the idea that uh, there might be something different than what I was doing. And that, and then this willingness to do whatever was next. And what was next was the fourth step. Right. And I was one that still had that driving obsession to use drugs for a long time. It was all the time. It was every day. And then it was five times a week. And then it was four times a week and three times a week, you know, and, uh, and that did not go away for me. There was no sudden release of that. There was a day that came when I woke up and realized it had been quite a while since I'd wanted to use you know, and that was pretty amazing day, but it is a long ways away from this spot where we're talking about right now, at least the first time, you know. Um, uh, I know people in the rooms who don't work a fourth step, you probably know them too, right? And um, one of the things that coming face to face with my character defects and my uh, resentment and my um, the things I had done in my life did is it gave me a path to freedom. That's the whole idea, right? Is I want to get free. Something I read the other day and and uh, 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 some literature was uh, having had a spiritual experience does not exempt us from having to do the work of recovery. You know, and um, and that hit me so hard. You know, I think sometimes my friends and the people I love who come here and they have this profound spiritual experience, they're like, I'm good. Me and God, we got this. We're going to come to meetings. We're going to tell you about how we got this. We're going to tell you about how we do it. But they're, but they're somehow exempt from having to do the work of recovery. And years and years later, they're still making the same mistakes and doing the same things over and over. You know, um, Having done that, had that third step um, does not only just um, relieve me of the obsession to use, it relieves me of the obsession to act out in all those ways that I acted out. You know, it's not just about getting loaded anymore. It's about not doing those things that continually harm 
myself and others. So I'm certainly glad I have done it. And everybody else here has done a fourth step, I guarantee it. Thanks for those comments, Donna. Eric, I got you on two minutes, bro. All right, perfect. You know, I I didn't know that this was even even in here, man. I thought that I just uh, I thought that I just came up with the, the thing that I was gonna the way I was gonna actionably do my third step was to continue on with the rest of the steps, but I still I still don't know that if that was just my experience before I read this and it's also written, which is possible. I guess it doesn't really matter. But that's like it's awesome to me, man. Like I'm not a smart dude, so I don't know, you know, how exactly working the fourth step helped me in particular, uh, specifically. But I do know that it was actionable, and I practiced. You know, it was an opportunity to practice honesty, courage, vulnerability, trust, and all these things, man. As I looked into another man's eyes and told him the truth about all this shit, you know, and like put it put it all out there, and that was a huge fucking step. You know what I mean? And not that my inventory is any worse or better than anybody else's. But man, exposing that is raw, you know, and showing somebody, you know, the soft spots and giving them ammunition to hurt me if they wanted to was uh, a leap of fucking faith, to say the least, man. So I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that I was willing to, like, you know, take some directions, man. That's it. Thanks for those comments, bro. All right, folks, thanks for spending this hour with us. Uh, the invitation this week is if you find a couple people who can benefit from this resource, please do provide it to them. Love you, folks. Hey, thank you for spending some time with us and walking on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so and reach out to us. Oh, there's a podcast number, there's a Facebook page, um, and you probably... Um, have contacted one of the squad already continue to do so pour into us allow us to be filled up and that way we can continue to pour into you i love you folks